Today is Palm Sunday. In celebration of Palm Sunday, look at your palm. <laughs> and then give somebody next to you a high five. That's not actually the palm that we're talking about on Palm Sunday. We're talking about palm branches and palm fronds. Uh, we're going to study a story uh, from the original Palm Sunday in Scripture. It's the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem at the beginning of what was the last week of his life. Uh, and uh, uh, in, in Christian tradition, it's often referred to as Passion Week. Passion Week, the week of, of Christ's passion. Um, do you know, what, you know what passion means, technically? Anyone? Passion? When I say passion, what do you think of? What? Fury. Passion and Fury. It's a good book. Uh, somebody said suffering over here. Is that a YYM? Um, it literally means suffering. Passion. The same word, you know, passio, is, is the Latin. Uh, it's the same root from which we get the word patience. You know, patience literally means long-suffering. If you're a patient person, you're willing to endure suffering. You're willing to go through suffering. So today we're going to talk about living with passion, which literally means living through suffering. Uh, and so Passion Week is sort of a celebration of Christ's suffering, if you celebrate uh, suffering. But I think it's a week in history uh, there back in the early A.D. years when lots of people suffered that week. Our text uh, today is from, uh, we got a few. I'm going to read the Passion Week uh, story, the story of Palm Sunday of Jesus entering Jerusalem from John chapter 12. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your phone Bibles, or the scripture will be on the big board behind us. This is commonly referred to as the triumphal entry. Jesus is entering the city uh, for the first time, and it's a really big deal, a uh, really big deal. I just want to set the context. Jesus uh, in the course of his ministry, had generated quite a reputation for himself. Uh, and uh, people thought that he was the coming Messiah or the promised one, the anointed one. The Hebrews, the Jews, had this tradition that dated back to Old Testament prophecies. So it went back centuries that in a time of great distress, God was going to send a hero, a Messiah, um, a savior uh, to come and to rescue uh, the nation. And over the centuries, there had been a number of candidates, and by and large, they had all been killed. Uh, and in this particular moment in history, the Jews had been occupied by the Roman army. The Romans were dominating uh, the Western globe at the time, and they were living under tremendous political uh, oppression of the sort that nobody would recognize today. I mean, it's like really bad oppression. And so Jewish people who were not politically correct, according to the Romans, were publicly executed at least weekly on a hill in Jerusalem. Uh, it was the hill on which Jesus uh, would be murdered at the end of this week. So the situation was really bad, and the hopes were really high that this Jesus was actually the guy that was going to deliver them from their suffering, from their passion. Right? So they, they were really in need, and they were really, really hopeful. And that's a very potent combination, right? But it gets even more intense, because Jesus had done, not just gathered a crowd of belief around him, but he had performed a ton of miracles. 
and relatively recently to this story, he had resurrected Lazarus from the dead. All right, so this guy you're hoping is your hero just showed that death, really not a barrier to him, right? And you're thinking of battling the Romans. Imagine an army in which, like, you could be killed, but your leader would just be like, get up. You're going to win, right? So beginning in verse 9, uh, it said a large crowd uh, found out that Jesus was, was there, not on, and not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, the risen zombie warrior. It doesn't actually say that, but <laughs> that's kind of the idea, right? And this is like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. Uh, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. Um, for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in Jesus. The chief priests were afraid that Jesus was going to lead an uprising and the Romans were going to kill every Jew in Jerusalem. So that, that's, that's the political situation. That's what was going on. The next day, uh, the great crowd that had come for the feast for Passover, this Passover coincides with Easter week, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, so they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. Name for Jerusalem. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. I mean, they're just backwater fishermen, you know, it's like, wow, what's going on? It's like getting a ticker tape in Manhattan, um, and they're from the countryside. Only after was Jesus glorified did they realize that these things that had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word about that great victory. Many people, because they, <clears throat> many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees, the political opponents, said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. The whole world was rallying around Jesus. We've been trying to get to that point since then. <laughs> it was like the whole world was rallying around Jesus. Can you imagine? The crowds that were rallying around Jesus that had poured into the streets to celebrate him, ticker tape parade, palm fronts, were literally risking their life to praise Jesus. Because the Romans typically reacted to that sort of demonstration by just killing a bunch of people. So they were literally risking their lives to praise Jesus. That's where the week started. That's where the week started. Five days later, he's hanging on a cross. And the crowds have abandoned him entirely. Right? Um, the big mystery of Passion Week is how thousands went from risking their lives to praise Jesus to those same thousands calling for his death in just a matter of a few days. That's always confounded me. You know, I always imagine myself in the crowd, like, how would I have played it? <laughs> Uh, that week. Um, I'm going to read uh, a section from Mark chapter 15. Uh, it's a story uh, 
an account from a little bit uh, later in the week. So what has happened is that Jesus has been betrayed. Most of you know that story, even if you're not a believer. Been betrayed by Judas, sold out by the Jewish religious leaders, taken into custody by the Romans, and he's put on trial in front of this guy Pontius Pilate, which is kind of the political, the, the governor, the Roman governor uh, of, of the region. Pick it up in Mark 15 at, at verse uh, 7. Uh, I'm going to pick it up at verse 6. Now, it was the custom of the Romans at the feast, Passover, to release a prisoner whom the people requested. So it was kind of a, a political favor to the Jews that at Passover the Romans would release uh, a Jewish prisoner that they had imprisoned for political causes. A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. So some Jews had risen up against the Romans. The Romans suppressed them. Those Jews had murdered a bunch of people. The Romans threw them in prison and were obviously going to execute them. Uh, and one of these guys was named Barabbas, literally a murderer. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate, Jesus knowing that it was out of envy that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd, the same old crowd, to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. So the crowd preferred the murderer to Jesus. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, the one you called the king of the Jews just a few days ago? What should I do with him? Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. See, Pilate sees it differently. We're going to ask why in a second. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he had Jesus flogged and handed Jesus over to be crucified. That's the story. Um, <clears throat> here's, here's my theory. The more you hope in something... The more you count on something, the harder it hits you when it doesn't materialize. The more you hope in God, the more you count on God, the more you put yourself on the line for God, the more it hurts you when God disappoints you. Jesus came to town and they were sure that this was the end to their suffering. They were sure that this was breakthrough. They were sure that this was the breakthrough they had been waiting for literally centuries. And everybody in Jerusalem had been waiting for it their entire life. Finally, the end of their humiliation, the end of their isolation, the end of their oppression, the end of their poverty, the end of their struggle. Finally, we can trust it. We can trust it because the whole world is behind him and he has even raised a guy from the dead. Look right there, walking with him in the crowd. Ex-dead guy. That's impressive. That's impressive. They were into it and they were willing to risk their lives from the first Sunday. Go out there, celebrate. Forget the Romans. They probably didn't say forget, but you know. Mm, the Romans. You know. God has come through for me. God has finally come through for me. This, Jesus has all the power he needs from the Lord. Right? And then Jesus just very meekly gave himself over to the Romans and was humiliated and dragged the entire country down with him. 
without even raising a fuss, without even trying to deliver Jerusalem? How mad would you be? Well, it depends on how hurt you were. It depends on how disappointed you were. How disappointed would you have been? How disappointed would you have been? You know, and those Pharisees who told you not to get your hopes up, now they're just rubbing your face in it. <laughs> you know, how humiliated would you feel? And so in a matter of a few days, thousands went from praising Jesus at risk of their lives to trying to get Jesus killed. Stunning. Have you ever been disappointed in God? Have you ever been hurt by crushed expectations? Yeah. Brian gave a short testimony at the beginning about divorce crushing, right? Go from the person that you've sworn to spend the rest of your life with to like, I can't even stand to be with this person. Um, it's like a number of us have been through that, you know? And the hurt at the end is all the greater because of the hope at the beginning, yes? Right? I mean, that's, that's one of the tragedies of, of divorce. That's something that a lot of us can appreciate. Yeah. I, uh, uh, when, I, when I was speaking of divorce, you know, when I was uh, a baby, my, my parents split pretty much right at the day I was born. As soon as my mom was up and about, she took off, leaving me with my dad. Um, and then a little later, she challenged for custody, which meant that I spent my childhood running around the country with my dad hiding from the cops and stuff. Uh, a lot of you know that story or stories from that story. And uh, I had my dad and I had my grandmother, Nana, who many of you know, she passed away last year, uh, running around the country with me. It's my whole world. Uh, and then uh, years passed, years passed, it got a little bit better uh, legally for us. And then my dad remarried and, um, and he gave me up. Uh, the story is that uh, because we were so poor and because his new wife had a couple kids, he sent me away to live with my grandmother alone because he couldn't afford to support me. That was the story anyway. There might have been a little more to it. Uh, but as far as I knew, it's like, feels a little bit like dad prefers his new wife and kids to me, right? So I'm like, going at eight years old, right? That wasn't like the whole story by any means, but for an eight-year-old, right, that's kind of what it felt like. And, and who, who is the figure of hope and deliverance in your life, if, if not your dad, when you're eight, right? And remember, I didn't even have a mom, right? So that was, that was my whole thing. And I, I just remember days, whole afternoons, just sitting still, feeling the situation. Until one day, literally, one afternoon, I stopped breathing. I just stopped breathing. Suddenly I couldn't breathe anymore. And my grandmother had to rush me to the emergency room. Have you ever been so disappointed you couldn't breathe? Have you ever been so disappointed it felt like you couldn't breathe? Yeah. Right. So for me, literal, I'm a little bit dramatic. You know me, drama queen. <laughs> Super emotional and expressive. Anyway, I think about that moment, like when I read this story, like so disappointed that you just stop living. You just stop. Like your spirit can no longer live. I mean, this happens in life. And that's what I think of when I think of the word passion. You know? And long suffering. 
some of you have, have been there, uh, I think. Why does God make his deliverance so troubled is a question that we have to ask ourselves historically, I think. You know, what is a savior? How, what should a savior be? Well, a savior should rescue you from suffering. That's what a savior does. And Jesus rolls in Jerusalem and multiplies everybody's suffering. I mean, he kind of sucks at his job. Right? And there's a whole week where that is true. And it's so tempting to skip ahead to Easter. Oh, yes, but he did conquer death. Important footnote. Important footnote. But for Passion Week, no, no, no. It's just like humanity. Oh, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. You know, and you do what you can. You lash out. Kill him. Destroy this. Set this on fire. You know, we've seen that sort of lashing out recently in our society, haven't we? Just disappointment, pain, just, ugh, it's got to come out. Yeah. Um, in a weird way, putting us through that sort of suffering in life says that God respects suffering. You know, he values it. Like, he values what it does, such that rather than just end it, he subjects his son to it. You know, and he goes through his Passion Week along with the rest of us. And I've given plenty of sermons on that. You can find a lot of sermons on that on YouTube, right? You know, But God didn't just send his son to eliminate a trouble. He sent his son into trouble. And you know, Jesus suffers along with us. And that creates a fellowship and a trust of the Lord that would not otherwise exist. He walks with us. He walks with us. It was him hanging on the cross uh, that, that Friday. The second thing, of course, that this model does for us is it helps us to focus on the ultimate goal, which is victory from death, you know, because no matter how God eases your suffering here or gives you blessing in this life, newsflash, you're going to die pretty soon, pretty soon. Some of you sooner than others, I can tell. Just, I mean, seriously, people, eat a little better. Just trying to keep your attention, that's all. Um, yes, yeah, some of us are a little older now, you know, it becomes a reality. Um, you know, Easter is the ultimate come from behind story. You die, and then the good thing starts. In this world, you will have trials and tribulation, Jesus said to his disciples, but fear not, I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trials and tribulation, but fear not, I will deliver you from your trials and tribulations. Nope. Fear not, I have overcome your trials and tribulations. Nope. Fear not, this world is just a warm-up. That's closer uh, to what he says. And if God were to do your life any other way, if he did not fill it with suffering and disappointments, at least occasionally, you might get lazy and stop thinking about the importance of eternity. It might, it might become easy for you to live according to this life instead of living according to the next life. And people, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. And Christianity at its core is about eternity. And Passion Week makes us remember whether we want to or not. 
It's not about now. It's about eternity. And there will come a day, if it has not come, where you're either in, into it for eternity or you're going to get left behind. Yeah. And so it's just kind of a reminder. And Jesus makes that very, very clear. He's willing to disappoint everybody just to make sure that we remember he came to free us from sin. God sent his only begotten son in order that all who believe in him should not die, should not perish. It's about freedom from death. It's about the great do-over that we get into eternity. I don't, I don't hear as many sermons about resurrection as I used to. I don't hear as many sermons about eternity as I used to. But if you have a very sucky life, you think about heaven more. Just to put it bluntly. Just to put it bluntly. Any heavenly people here? Oh, yeah. All right. All right. You get the idea, right? Um, so here's what I'd uh, like to do. Um, I'd like you to respect somebody's suffering this week. I think that would be a great Passion Week exercise. Not, not to preach victory to someone, but just to respect their suffering. Is the difference clear? Like, wow, you're hurting. You know what I'm going to do? Hurt. <laughs> right alongside with you. Right? Or maybe you're hurting. You know, and you could just reach out to someone and be like, would you mind hurting with me for a week? Because that's useful. Evidently. Right? I didn't make up this story. But evidently entering in somebody's hurt and sitting there or sharing it is actually really, really useful. Right? It does things to our soul. Right? I have a friend. Sony and I have a friend this week. I'll end on this story. Uh, a fellow uh, named Leo. Uh, we recently moved out of Manoa, but we lived in Manoa for 15 years. And Leo um, was our neighbor, but he kept to himself and never met him. You know, I, I got so I could wave to him, but he looked like really insecure or, or mean or something. I don't know, but we never talked to him. And he was, I don't, didn't know how old he was, but he was getting up there. And uh, one afternoon, uh, he fell in the street and banged himself up really badly, and we heard him calling, so I ran out there, and that started the relationship. This was a couple years ago. I bandaged him up, and it turned out that his situation was actually fairly desperate. He was living in a house a little ways down the street that was basically a, a, a hovel. It had been overgrown, part of the Manoa jungle, so you couldn't see how bad it was, but his landlords were just basically extorting money from him and keeping them there. He was very poor, didn't have much money, so he was scared of showing anybody how he lived, essentially. And that was part of his isolation. And eventually, uh, we got to know his story, maybe the worst life story I have ever heard. So he was born in Hawaii, um, and uh, his father was uh, a mafioso from Chicago, came, uh, knocked up a local gal, and then his father abandoned them. And so he lived in sort of poverty uh, single mom. One day when he was about 12 years old, uh, his mother set out to, his father would come to town every once in a while, buy him a little food, and then go back to the city. His mother decided they would go to Chicago and find him and start a family because she was tired of being poor. Went to Chicago, he wouldn't see her, uh, and so she took him downtown Chicago. Um, 
one day and said, oh, wait here a minute on the street corner, walked away, and he never saw her again. She abandoned him in downtown Chicago. So he lived homeless on the streets of Chicago for a while, uh, riding trains on the south side of Chicago. I used to live in Chicago, so he would tell Chicago stories just as a homeless child. Until years later, <clears throat> he was taken in by St. Joseph's Home for the Friendless, was the name of the Catholic charity house. They did not have a strong marketing department. <laughs> so they, they saved his life. They kept him for a while and then sent him back to Hawaii where his mother's sister lived and she had a husband. They thought, well, we're going to restore you to your family. Happy days. So bought him a ticket home. They didn't want him. So he kind of lived in a corner of their garage for a while before just uh, running away. This is, he's still a teenager at this point. Uh, he went to Roosevelt High School, and uh, some local Baptist pastors took him in to a spare room for a while and let him work around the house to keep his keep. And he sort of went to high school part-time. The people at Roosevelt cooperated with him until he graduated. It just goes on and on and on like this for him. And he gradually uh, eventually joined the Air Force for a while, had some health concerns, had to leave that, ended up working in. Uh, air traffic control for a little while, um, met uh, a woman, finally got engaged to her, and uh, she jilted him a week before their wedding, broke his heart, found another woman he wanted to marry, and then the week of their wedding, she got killed. And basically, a broken man, and I was living in a hovel in a corner of Manoa, um, wouldn't let us inside for a long time, was so deeply racked with shame. Uh, and I, I, uh, he's in the hospital now, dying of pancreatic cancer. And I'm his power of attorney. Um, and so I had to break into his house. I mean, he's kind of a hoarder at this point. They can barely walk through this little hovel. The house is half fallen down. I could go on and on and on. Sonia prayed for him recently in the hospital over the phone. Just ended up just being a few days before he lost... Uh, consciousness, probably permanently. Prayed for him to receive the Lord for salvation. He's like, oh yes, I want that. Well, you would, wouldn't you? Victory story? Not a victory story. It's just one of those things that totally depends on what you think about eternity. Right? If there's no eternity, I'm angry at God. Leo's life alone would make me angry at God. Uh, if there is eternity, then what a cool story. It changes everything. Does it change everything in your life? You know, so if you don't value eternity enough, then you're going to get taken out by disappointment one of these days. At the very least, it will diminish your walk uh, with the Lord. That's all I got to say about Passion Week. So much passion in the story. So much freaking passion. And, and maybe you feel that about your life. It's like, there's just way too much passion in my life. Not the good kind. You know, but the disappointment kind. The heartbreak kind. The hurt and the lashing out kind. The kind that just kind of makes you want to stop. You know? So maybe that's you, and I want to give you at least this encouraging word. Oh, God's into that by which I mean, you know, he enters into it and he specializes on doing something creative and redempting. 
Not necessarily delivering you from trials and tribulations, but delivering you from the world. Mortality. Humanity itself. And maybe there's someone here that's like, you know what? Uh, I would like real life. I would like eternity. And I've never really gotten that squared away before. In which case, I offer you some comfort. This is a great day. This is a great day to, as Leo did recently, oh, I want that. Would you pray for me? You know? Would you pray for me? Uh, And we will. And then at the very least, at the end of the week, the end of the story, however long your story lasts, you get a victory. You get a huge win. Really the only one that counts. The only one that counts. If I haven't said it to the church in a while, I'll say it today. There's only one victory that counts. And that's what happens after you die. Everything else is just details. Let's pray a minute. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fall upon uh, the crowd and um, give us the passion of Passion Week, the intensity and the strength. to live life as it really is and to see death as it really is. We pray often, let your kingdom come, Lord. But this morning we pray, oh, let us come into your kingdom. Let us come in, Lord. Let us come in. Just stay in that place for a minute. Um, Here's a struggle and an irony that sometimes happens in times of passion in our life. When God really disappoints us a lot and we're tempted to be angry or hurt about that, and then Jesus looks down from the cross and says, I forgive you, we're not really in a mood to receive forgiveness, are we? We're not in a mood to give it We're just angry. That's what disappointment does. It makes forgiveness seem beside the point. Well, some of you have been angry at God. You know, just take a moment and at least say some silent words to him about how you forgive him, so to speak. And maybe you want to ask for a little forgiveness yourself. Just clear the air for a second. All right, and keep your heads bowed. And anybody just want to get in today? You want me to pray uh, the prayer that Sonia prayed for our friend Leo? And you get into eternity, go ahead and. You can keep your head bowed, but just raise your hand or something and wiggle your fingers at me. I'll just say a prayer here a second. Yeah. All right, Lord, we pray, let your kingdom come and let us into your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that we would transcend life as we see it and live life as we believe it to be. We pray, Lord, for the strength of eternity upon us. 
We pray, Lord, that you would make us a truly free people and a, a, a people that can rise above uh, the passions of the flesh and the disappointments of our days. Uh, we're going to hang with you this week, Lord. We're going to hang with you. And we're going to celebrate redemption as it appears to us on Easter. We're going to love people in the midst of their hurt, and we're going to hurt with them because we know it's not forever. It's not forever, people. It's not forever. And we know what is forever. We know what is forever. Life eternal. In Jesus' name, everybody says...